Hi, everyone. Welcome to the sixth show of By the Drip. This podcast is about coffee, entrepreneurship, and the people we meet through the amazing story of coffee. I'm your host, David Crosby, founder and CEO of Rosso Coffee Roasters. Today's guest is James Bocher, the CEO of Righteous Gelato. Righteous Gelato is a certified B Corporation, and James and his team have grown the business from a small gelato shop to selling gelato all over Canada and into the United States. In today's podcast, we talk about the beginnings of Righteous Gelato, scaling the business and what it means to James, B Corp certification and Righteous's high score, giving back to the community, advice to himself in 2009, and what makes quality gelato and what on earth is overrun. It was a fun conversation with James, and I hope you enjoy it too. James. Hello. Thanks for joining me, buddy. Ah, so excited. So you're the CEO of Righteous Gelato. Can you tell me a little bit about the company and uh, what your role is? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, CEO sounds so fancy, but on my business card, it says custodian of culture and chief empowerment officer. So a little riff on the CEO uh, acronym, but uh, Righteous is a purpose-driven gelato company uh, based in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And we uh, sell our delicious gelato that we handcraft uh, across Canada. We're in about 3000 retailers here, just embarked on the US. So we're with Whole Foods in the Pacific Northwest and uh, a handful of other uh, really great retailers in the Pacific Northwest and working on California here shortly and uh, one day maybe uh, make our way uh, across the the ocean to some other great countries wow. but got lots of time really excited about what the future holds and yeah the company is just it's a blast every day I feel pretty pretty lucky to get to do what I do so so let's go back to 2009 sure what are you doing then <laughs> how did righteous land in your hands yeah tell us a little bit about the origin story well i know there's a bit of uh you know it's a bit of a coffee podcast here <laughs> so i should probably layer in my coffee expertise please, please. i was working at a, a grocery store in my teens and i ended up at a uh, natural food distributor and their flagship brand was kicking horse coffee so i spent my early teens and or sorry late teens and early 20s working on kicking horse at the time it was three blends and my samples were in a Ziploc bag. Wow. Uh, Alana would make sure we were saving a few dollars. So I'd take it to, to grocers around Alberta and, and try to get it listed. And that was a lot of fun. I didn't realize how much I was learning about what I do now through, uh, through that experience of being in a grocery store and then also working on the distribution side. Happy Planet was another product. I think we had six blends at that time. So yeah, lots of, lots of really cool Canadian brands that I got to participate in early on. And then I did a few other random things. I had a clothing line for a little while. I lived in Vegas uh, doing that for a bit. And then, uh, yeah, 2009, I um, I got approached by uh, a guy that had a gelato shop and he kind of was ready to move on. And, and I said, I maybe I could take a shot at this. And I thought I'd just be this guy in, in the community serving gelato and coffee. So at the time I got recruited by Starbucks and I ended up being an assistant store manager at the Chinook Center fishbowl location. We called it the shark tank, but wow. uh, yeah, did that for six months, learned a lot about their business. Uh, really cool company. Super, super glad I got to be a part of that. Ended up taking over this, this little gelato shop that could in, in 2009. And I mean, there's lots of records of the adversity before we ever opened our doors. 
someone had thrown a brick through the window and, and lit the store on fire. And so the gentleman that had owned the store sort of told me I could move on if I wanted to, because obviously there was nothing to start. I've always had this attitude in life, if not now, then when. And so um, I said, let's let's take a crack at this. So what was supposed to take six months took six weeks. Uh, I learned how to do fire restoration for the first time. <laughs> oh and uh, we rebuilt the store and, and opened, opened up to the community uh, on a Friday of, of June in 2009. Looking back, what I know now, if I knew that then, I maybe wouldn't have done it. So um, for all the, uh, you know, the, the entrepreneurs out there, ignorance is bliss. You know, I think the beauty of life is when you don't know too much, you can really accomplish some some really cool things. So how did you pick yourself up? What was going through your like head <laughs> yeah. at that time? Like, I mean, who, that who gives you the phone call that like, Hey, your store's on fire. Or yeah. Was- it's, it's a, it's a, it's a little while ago, so it's tough to totally yeah, remember yeah. vividly, but you know, I, I think it was, it was, it was shock. It was surprise. And then also, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit stubborn by nature. And so, uh, just saying, you know, someone's trying to take this from me. And so why would I allow that to occur? So yeah, we just, just rallied. I got some of my family to help out my brother and sister, my aunts, cousins, and everybody participating in getting this, this little 1200 square foot gelato shop back open for the summer of 2009. So and at what time did you start to transition out of retail and focusing? Yeah. Like, I remember there was a time you were in every restaurant. Sure. Yeah. And then you transitioned into grocery. Yeah. Maybe so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. A bit of a journey. Got this store back up and running, super pumped. And we were doing some good volume. It was pretty busy in the summer. I think actually one of the best years the, the company had had. And then it got into the winter and selling gelato uh, street side <laughs> in, in Calgary. Calgary. <laughs> wasn't so great. Uh, we didn't have really any street parking and, and people would just walk by like, why are these guys even open? And yeah, I remember there was a day we did $6 in revenue and I was like, I don't know that this is going to work. So everything sort of happens for a reason, I, I believe, and you get to decide how you're going to deal with it. And so the landlord had come to us and said, your lease is up for renewal, Jan 1, 2010, and we're not going to renew it. Got some other interested parties. And if you want to stay, your lease will be double. And I was like, I'm not great at math at this point in my life, but double from $6 means uh, way too much. Uh, yeah, just cannot compute at that point. <laughs> yeah, I loaded everything into a, a storage unit and wasn't sure what the next steps were. I um, I was maybe looking for another spot at that time. I ended up calling um, a good friend of mine that had a catering company and asked if I could just set up their catering space to make gelato. And they didn't have any room in the catering part, but they had this storage warehouse where they stored sort of all their chafing dishes. His name's Eric Day. The company's called Indulge Catering. Eric and Sharon helped me out a ton. Anyway, so we rolled this gear into this this warehouse and started making gelato. And I got a call from a, a pizzeria and they said, you know, we've heard you make the best gelato. Can we come see your space? And I said, well, I don't really have a space, but so I ended up making some samples. Uh, they wanted to tour my facility, quote unquote, at the time. <laughs> I asked them to wait in the parking lot because we were quote unquote under renovations <laughs> and uh, ended up wowing their uh, their chef, Nate Henry. And he was, he was pumped about it and got into their location in Calgary and then uh, slowly took on some of their Edmonton business. And what I realized at the time was, you know, I was spending a lot of time trying to figure out the right lease. I think I had an offer to lease on a dozen spots in town where there's some cool businesses that I'm kind of glad we never got because places like Proof exist because it's not a gelato shop kind of thing to name a few. And ironically, I think your brother was in the mix at that time, Reese. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. He might've shown me one or two spots on, on 17th, but small world, right? Yeah. 
we just started making stuff for restaurants and and i realized if you could capture sort of the the hearts and minds of people when they're you know in these moments uh of being in a restaurant then um maybe one day they'll invite us into their homes and so you know it was a lot of events a lot of a lot of restaurants a few cafes carried our product and we just worked super hard. We were making, you know, 10 liters an hour at the time. And so, you know, it was 16 hours a day, seven days a week, just to kind of keep the lights on. But I was only 25 at the time and loved, loved every minute of it. I would get orders on Friday, convince my brother to come in on the weekend, trick him and his friends <laughs> to come tape boxes or whatever. And then uh, on Monday, I'd load up a chest freezer and push it into the back of a rented van from Enterprise Rent-A-Car and uh, <laughs> rip around town because uh, the Mazda 3 I had at the time didn't keep the gelato as cold as I needed it to in in the warmer months so and so you know as you're growing the business here can you look back and was there like a moment that kind of happened that's like okay yeah. we've made it or more so than the made it I think um you know I I uh I come from pretty humble beginnings. My um, my dad was on welfare for most of my childhood, so we lived in low-income housing, and so pretty modest, right? Like there were times where you know we didn't have power, and uh, we support a lot of food banks across the country because that was a, a big part of my childhood uh, in our support system. You know, I I think when I was paying myself thirty-three grand a year back then, like that was lots. It, it right. paid my bills, and and things were good, and then you know things kept clicking along and trying to figure it out and having to hire people and figure out how a business should operate. And, you know, that ignorance is bliss. You take the approach of, of what you know. And so I'm glad I, I didn't have an MBA or any of those kind of things. I just got to run the company that I know my, my dad would be proud. I, I started. Yeah. Then 2013, 14 is kind of a, a, a monumental moment for us. You know, we were doing the, the restaurant thing and I had started another company called YYC Food Trucks. So I always wanted a gelato truck, but it was illegal in Calgary at the time. And so I created this fictitious company uh, and told the mayor that uh, all these food trucks wanted to operate and uh, had some friends like John and Connie uh, that started up Alley Burger and the Fries and Dolls Girls and uh, Mario from Pepino or Pimentos. Uh, Jojo's barbecue. So there's all these people kind of at the same time wanting it just as bad as I did. And so uh, we created this cohort kind of thing and launched food trucks. And so, you know, get around to 13, 14 floods happen here in Alberta. And, and before this, yeah. like no one had a food truck in Calgary. No, it was super weird, dude. The laws were like, you could have a hot dog cart, which is like, super not food safe right. so it doesn't make a lot of sense and then the rule no word of a lie in the bylaw written for like a dickie d uh truck is uh it can exist but it can't stop moving so okay. like bylaw it's supposed to like keep continue moving while children are trying to chase this thing down the and i was like ice cream truck. yeah exactly i'm like this can't be right and i mean again i was i was selling you know italian ice cream at the time and so i was like why the heck can i not have this truck and i'd been to portland and, and la and seen these these uh food trucks and i was I was just so passionate about sort of the the fabric it created in the city. You know, you had this lineup of the mayor next to someone that's, you know, scrounging for cash and the business guy and just sort of electrifies, uh, you know, public sp spaces. So, yeah. So then 13, 14 uh, floods happen in Alberta. And, and uh, as we've always done, we said, how can we help? 
Britt ended up, Britt's employee 001, she's been around forever. She ended up getting on a call with the zoo and, and we said, you know, how can we help you guys? And they said, what are you thinking? And we, we were hoping they'd tell us what to do, <laughs> but uh, we just kind of were on speakerphone and I'm like, maybe we can make a couple flavors. Uh, I don't know, banana cracker, high water hippo. I don't know, something like that. And so being a marketing guy, I was kind of putting the, the cart before the horse. I thought up the ideas without the execution. Nice, nice. Um, and they're like, cool, where are you going to sell it? And we're like, I, I was hoping you could help with that. So anyways, they said, uh, we work with Calgary Co-op. Let's put you in touch. And, and super fun. I ended up getting to connect with a lady, Sharon Wheeler. And um, back in my happy planet days, she ran the produce department at uh, Co-op Shaughnessy number 14. And so I, you know, when I was just a kid, I was meeting this, this lady and, and she remembered me when oh, I wow. came along and she's like, you're the happy planet delivery guy. I was like, you're the produce lady. Like it was just like, holy crap, sort of like worlds collide. So she listed our product and I remember us getting our first PO and I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I was like, sure, we'll take your PO. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they wanted two cases uh, for every store. So it was like 50, 60 cases. And at that time we were probably filling, you know, a case every two hours and it was like oh wow it was big so we did this launched it we raised about 13 grand for the zoo wow uh on a super frosty penguin walk day we presented this ice cream check in uh on the on the zoo uh promenade to some kids you'll never this is why i always think that our business can survive in in calgary is uh it's minus 30 out and these kids are like can i please have ice cream right now so yeah we did that and then co-op said to us you know what's next and i had this clear jar sitting on my desk for a while and trying to figure out how to really get it going and again if not now then when and so kind of made up eight flavors pretty quickly and put some labels on some jars and filled them as fast as we could and uh, launched the grade eight into into co-op in 2014 and i knew the vision had always been to get into grocers Mm. and being privy to kind of how kicking horse had really organically high value sort of uh, proposition uh, luxury built their market share i was like you know we're going to take this slow and steady we're not going to get crazy we're going to make the product we want we're going to charge what we want so that we can do what we want with this company yeah then we got a call from this retailer and the next retailer and all of a sudden you've got safeway western canada calling and you know we're bursting at the seams we're in this 2200 square foot we moved from the we, we were only in the square where, foot. yeah yeah uh we moved out of that that garage that eric and sharon uh shared with us uh into this 2200 square spot square foot spot off off meridian road just up from the jugo juice office and ended up um which is kind of cool now because we do uh, um, some products for them but yeah we were bursting at the seams we worked around this 11 foot ikea dining table that was like we ate lunch there together we like did all our brainstorming i met the michael norther and the nordstrom executive chef and he's like can we meet in your office <laughs> and i was like sure and he's like there's a lot of people here <laughs> i was like yeah sit down you know like whatever we talk about i'm well, gonna tell well, them about well. later yeah um so that was kind of a cool one so it just kept kept going from there and we're we're here where we are are at now which is being uh the number one gelato brand in canada by our own sort of measurement um there's not a lot of gelato in canada but we're having a lot of fun and and there's there's so many little nuggets of 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 the journey that just sort of remind me of like how fortunate we are to be where we're at you know you got to kind of create your own luck along the journey and uh and then also you know when people believe in what you do like it makes it a hell of a lot easier to to make things happen so so looking back scaling the business Mm -hmm. you've gone from you know a hundred foot shop Mm -hmm. or 
Space, yeah, twenty two hundred. You're in how big of a space now? Fifteen, twenty thousand? No, we're we're pretty modest. When we when we moved out of the spot on Meridian, it's that's kind of a, a crazy story too. It was seven thousand forty two square feet, and then we built a mez that has about a mezzanine that has about eighteen hundred square feet for our office. Oh, so wow. it seems so big in there. Yeah, well, when you come in, I think the way that we've sort of laid it out, it's kind of like Willy Wonka meets Google. You yeah. know. People always say it looks like an agency office and, and the production is, you know, encased in glass. So there's a lot of natural light for yeah, the production beautiful. team. Yeah. And we've just, you know, done a really good job of managing it. We have a couple offsite warehouses. So all of our, our gelato, once it's made, goes to our, our distribution companies. So we don't hold a lot on site. So really our factory is like very just in time and all our raw materials also go to an offsite warehouse. So what happens there is a bit of the, like the on stage sort of theater of gelato. Everything else goes to sort of other spots. And then just on the nose of COVID, the folks next door moved out and uh, I got some good advice about how to bring people back to the office after working at home. And it was like, give them a reason to. And so we have this subset of the building where uh, it's not attached to the factory. And so people are allowed to bring their dogs. And, oh, and nice. uh, yeah, it's, you know, in the old days, dogs used to literally run through the gelato factory before we we like, were. Don't uh, tell uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was those are the early days. But um, now we have like a, a serious quality assurance program and everyone got a dog during COVID. And, and so now they get to bring them to, to the space and. It's fun. I think that, you know, we're in the process of expanding the building, actually. That'll be a really cool endeavor for us because, again, I think as much as I love how efficient we've been in terms of size, it does have it, its setbacks a little bit. So, but yeah, people come by and they're like, this can't be it. Like, you make all of that in this little spot. Yeah, I, and I, I thought it was like 20,000 square feet. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's go back. You, you know, you're, you've scaled the business or... Sure. Let's, let's in talk the process, about yeah. We're scaling the business. Yeah. What is what does that mean to you? Yeah. As as the CEO. Yeah. Another sort of Starbucks nod here. Early days, it was like I think I'll just keep this real small and local. Mm. And um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot to be said about that. I love seeing sort of the Kalamata gro- groceries of the world that are you know they're one spot and right. they run a good business and. Howard had said, I think in Onward, Howard from Starbucks, the reason they wanted to scale was because they could have a larger impact. So when you look at all the um, enhancements they've had on on um, the workforce and, and, you know, one of the first companies to give benefits in the U.S. and all this stuff, I think it's prudent to evaluate whether or not what you do enhances the world. And if it does, then I think it's, again, a bit of an inherent responsibility to see it out or or continue to grow it. And so... For us, I, I really got to this point where I was like, okay, let's let this grow itself. You know, it's kind of like a tree, right? Like let's, let's give it enough water and sunlight and, and space to do what it needs to do. And really that's been the, the reason for scaling. And that's why, you know, the goal is one day to be bigger than haagen But the reason for that is not anything to do with revenue or, or the way consumers participate in the brand. It's actually about you know, how many people could we employ and they could have a great place to work or how many consumers now get the product that, you know, they've been longing for. And then also, you know, all of our, our work on the sustainability side or, or on the community side, we get to continue to do that at scale. So like, you know, this year we've donated over $100,000 worth of product to food wow. banks in Canada. And like, I can't do that if I have one shop, right? So, so getting to a position where, 
I can leverage the size of the business to do good work in the in the world is like really the catalyst for for why we want to grow. So a good, good transition is you guys are a B Corp. Yeah. Maybe you could talk. Sure. We're trying to get our damn B Corp, man. <laughs> I, I mean, don't know I what your score yeah. is, but I think it's like the highest I've ever seen. <laughs> and you know, I, I'm here to help. We've we've helped uh, a bunch of friends get get their certification done. It's no joke. I was so happy when we came across it. So for those that don't know, a B Corp certification essentially is an audit of your entire business, like front to back on how you operate, governance, sustainability, community, supply chain, diversity, all this all this stuff. And I came across it through uh, Patagonia. I was reading Let My People Go Surfing mm-hmm. by Yvonne Chouinard, and I was like, what's the B Corp? And then when you read about it and you run the company like, like we do, I was like, shit, this is us. You know, it's like if you were a super sustainable building builder and then you came across lead certification, you'd be like, oh my God, like, this is me, you know? So we went through it about five, six years ago and our first score was 86 and it, it was a hell of a slug to get there because so much of it is about your measurements on things. And when you're small, you're not really measuring those things. And so the 86 was there and then we really started to lean in and, and bear down on some of the measurements. And then our research about three years ago was 111 and Ben and Jerry's is 110. Wow. So we were like stoked that we had grown so much. So we get what's called best for the world change makers uh, status. And then, uh, yeah, Ben and Jerry's uh, was 110. So we like got them by one, which is fun <laughs> uh, status. And then, uh, and then, yeah, Ben and Jerry every so often and just say hi. And yeah, we just did our research again here. And I mean, it seems like a small growth from the last number, but like one of the top scores in the world. So it's out of 200 is 160 164 i think so like 200 200 is impossible and the median score of a normal business is 55 okay. and so that's why b corp certification occurs at 80 so you're kind of like up in the upper echelon of business operating as a force for good and so we we just reserted at 115 which wow. we're like so stoked on a lot of companies through the last few years as some of the measurements have shifted or improved um, have actually seen their score slide a bit. And so that was a, a bit of a thing was like, let's not get ahead of ourselves in, in celebrating what our score will be. Let's just get all our paperwork together and, and our, our submission done. But it takes a lot of work. Shannon, my assistant, she spends a lot of time ensuring that's done. The operations team has to measure so many things now. Yeah, it's a real legit commitment to achieve a score of 115. Yeah. We're at like 85 and we're going through the process again. Yeah. And- it's so hard it, yeah. and it's tracking it tracking it's the big key and then totally leaning on someone who's already gone through it and yeah yeah and it, and anybody that, that wants a, a hand with it just reach out to me on linkedin i'm happy to to sort of give you some advice i think one of the things i shared with somebody recently christy from encircled as she did her uh, she's got this purpose-driven clothing company in in toronto and i just said don't overdo it like get to the 98 percent of being done and accept the score because you got a business to run at the same time, yeah. right? And be okay with that. Like we, same thing happened for us. Like our first audit, we were at 127 on our score, which is an insane improvement. Wow. But then all the work that comes along with ensuring that that's an accurate score really was like, okay, let's get there on the next cert. But the B Corp community is f- fantastic. I mean, if I have to choose between two brands and one of them is a B Corp and one's not, like it's a pretty easy default. Great brands look like in Canada, like Prana. I wouldn't do it any other way. I'm so grateful it exists. Like it, it really qualifies the kind of company you operate and it's no bullshit. Like you can't cheat the system, you know? So no, it's a real commitment. Yeah. James, you've won literally every award (laughs) 
Get you know, out of I here. Got a, you I got too. A, you I too. Got a, no, no, man. I got a list here. <laughs> Top 40, under 40, breakout business of the year, emerging cult brand of the year, EY entrepreneur of the year, best workplaces in Canada. It goes on and on. <laughs> do you, do you like, how do you, how do you do this? How do you, you got the team, you got a team working on this full time? Well, no, I, it's the whole team. And it's, it's really, it's really just how we operate all day long. I was thinking about this cause we've got this trophy case. that's like, we got the pr- cro- pretty, pretty case. cool. Okay. Um, and I love seeing friends win. like when you guys won small business of the year, like uh, it's so good. I think we were up against each other when I won EY oh, just, prairies. Yes. Yes. But I, I cheer everybody on because no one really understands how hard it is. Mm. And anybody that is up for an award that is winning in itself. Like I, I think that that is a sentiment I share often. There's lots of times we've come in second or third place or not even been a finalist or got the call that says, sorry, you're not this time. Happened like two weeks ago on a pretty, pretty big one that I, I want to accomplish here for no other reason than like it, it's pretty special. But the reality is, is like running a business is so hard and it's thankless in so many ways. And there's, I'm that's why I'm so grateful that there are awards out there for companies. Cause I think back to like, even in school, it was like, they're giving out like, you know, ribbons or awards and they're celebrating, you know, people going above and beyond. And I think that's the thing that sort of gets lost as we get older, as we, we forget a lot of the things that made childhood special. Mm. I think this is one of them where you've truly got to harness a competitive spirit, but in business different than sort of sport or, or school, you can kind of break the rules like that's why a lot of corporations get a bad rap, right? Like they've, they've done something unethical in the mm. process or whatever it is. And that's why I appreciate that there's awards around business because it sort of reasserts like you've got to be a good employer. You've got to run a sustainable company. You know, you've got to care about more than just the bottom line. That's where for us, it's always been like, yeah, this, this seems cool. Like, let's just see where we land. And so we'll submit an application. Like one time somebody chirped me about, you know, winning awards and, and I said, they're like, oh, you win everything. And I was like, did you enter? Right. It's like, oh, I wish I'd win the lottery. I'm like, cool. Do you buy tickets? Yeah. And they say, no, I'm like, no one's walking around like, Ooh, I'm just going to recognize this person. Yeah. Any massive recommend, uh, recognition in the world comes from submission. And so you've got to get out of your own sort of ego of like, well, I don't want to apply because that's stupid. Like when people say that to me, someone said that about top 40 under 40, which you've won. I'm like, why, like, why wouldn't you want to win? Yeah. What's, what's wrong with, with being recognized? And like, if you look at top 40 under 40 forever, all of those people have done something amazing in this Mm. city on another level. Mm. And sure, there's people that have done things on another level that have not been recognized. But that's where I would say, like, put your name in the hat. Like, yeah. why lean away from that recognition? And again, it's not about ego for me. It's about, again, showcasing that what we do as a company actually is being recognized and encourages others to sort of seek out why that happens. So like great places to work in Canada or best places to work for youth. It's like, why are you getting recognized for that? And I'm like, well, let me tell you, like we're a living wage leader. Like we have a lunch program for everybody. Like we have an unlimited vacation policy we have. And I can just like tell them things and you don't have to take everything we do as a company and say, well, I'll just like do that. And some people are like, we can't do that. And that's cool too. But it's at least being able to ask, how did you achieve that? Right. Yeah. And I, I do think again, like look at the list of of companies that gets recognized at, at chamber awards or whatever it is, they're the real deal. They're doing great stuff. And why wouldn't we want to celebrate them? But again, back to like EY, when you guys were 
second maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I was I was a hundred percent sitting there with my team and I was so prepared for you guys to win. I would be celebrating you just as hard as I celebrated our team. And I think that's the thing that we've got to realize in the sport of business yeah. is it's it's an abundance. There is not yep. it's not scarcity. And if we're in a position where we can lift others up and celebrate them, we know how hard that person also is working. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I encourage everybody, like if you ever see somebody getting acknowledged and you're not celebrating them, ask yourself why. And I bet you it has more to do with you than them. I think the awards are so important because in business, there's no end. Yeah. It's an infinite game versus, you know, play a game of hockey. There's an end, there's a clear winner and the awards it's for the team to celebrate Mm -hmm. and remind, you know, you reflect on the past year or the past five years. It's a great notion. Totally. And I would say like, if you don't have awards inside your organization as well, if you have your own organization or you work for one, I'm like, we have core virtue awards every, every year and, and it's peer nominated. So all of our, we call them virtues, but core values. We do quarterly uh, MVP, which is voted on by the team. And it's not just like pick the guy you like the most kind of idea, but it's like, this is why I chose this person. We have the spirit award. We have an above and beyond award that are outside of the virtues too. And I just think like, it's so important to celebrate wins in life. And as entrepreneurs, I'm sure you can agree, like there have been some big wins in our companies because we're so busy or on to the next thing we forget to celebrate. By the Drip is sponsored by Rosso Coffee Roasters. You can check out the Home Coffee Plan subscription on the website rosocoffeeroasters.com. This week's coffee is from Finca La Esperanza, the award-winning farm in Colombia. This coffee is a blend of three different coffee varietals that are cultivated at Esperanza, Cotura, Colombia, and Mandela. I'm drinking a cup of it right now, and it's super approachable. It tastes like almonds and dark chocolate. So enjoy sipping on some Esperanza while listening to my chat with James from Righteous Gelato. Talking about core values, giving back to the community. You guys are always doing something for the community. What does it mean to you? You've touched on it a little bit. Yeah, early on, I realized that, again, even if your organization is, is I want to say, not profitable, because generally small businesses forget things like EBITDA and right. depreciation. Yes, yes. It's like, look at all the money we made. Oh, yeah. wait, let's look, actually look at this thing. There's a lot to give. And I think that we all create things that we've got to mark up and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, when we make it, it's like making bread. It's like something we could make lots of and give away if we don't have the sort of economics built into it. And I think that as a kid growing up with not a lot, like I got into business and I realized that it's so easy to do something and it doesn't have to be like on a grand scale. You know, I think there's always an opportunity to do something as simple as donate some, you know, close to date product to the food bank. If, if you've got it, instead of throwing it out, donating time. So we have a 1% of all of righteous team time is paid volunteer time. So 20 hours per person per uh, year. And we supported 140 something organizations last year. And so it's actually way easier than I think people acknowledge where it starts though is, is genetically, like I talk about uh, like the ecosystem of an organization and the company and its DNA has to embody it. So when you talk about founders or leadership or, or the core purpose of the organization, 
that's where it lives. And so our organization, like you said, synonymous with community ambassadorship or support or, or uh, investment, people don't join our organization without really knowing that. And if they don't, when they come in, they learn pretty quickly, like this is what we do. So we're on a, a team call on Thursday night and we do profit sharing, which is another thing of transparency. Everybody in the company gets to see the whole company. And I just said, hey, what do you guys want to do for the folks in, in Abbotsford? And I just said, we should donate some money to, to Red Cross. So we made a donation and everybody was like stoked, like Slack was lit up all night on Thursday. I just think when you realize that those things also matter to the people that are a part of your team in a meaningful way, and different organizations too, and different causes and all that. Once you sort of embrace all of that, that's why there's so many organizations we support. It's because everyone's sort of choosing right. where they would like to, to participate. Yeah, I just think that, again, there's a lot in organizations already. And I think that it's on us as leaders to make sure that we never waver on it. So lots of companies say they donate 10% of profits or whatever it is. I think that's an easy thing to say, like no offense to anybody, but uh, I think it's an easy thing to say because if you're not profitable, you're not donating, right? <laughs> right? Right? Like it's a very safe way to say you support the community. I think when people put, you know, their declaration down and say something like what we've attested to, which is effectively the same thing, because, you know, at the end of the day, if our company made 10% EBITDA, we'd be happy. Mm -hmm. Not the case most of the time, but, but we donate 1% of our total revenue. And so that's like, doesn't matter if we win or lose on the bottom line, like we are always investing and we've wow. exceeded it this year and, and we've had a rough year. It hasn't been a, a walk in the park, but I think that when organizations make declarations that are sort of not plighting to the, the marketing side of the business and really are serious about what they do, it encourages others to do it. And there, I'm always torn too. We, I mean, I don't want to be like on my high horse, like saying we do all this great shit and all this stuff. Like I, that's, that's never the intention. All I'm, all I'm saying is like, I look around the room of other business owners or entrepreneurs and I'm like, what if we all just did a little, you know, like it, it's, it's so magnified at that point and everyone sort of, you know, leans away from it sometimes or is nervous about it or maybe doesn't know how. And so the reason that I, I share as much as I do about it is not about us. It's actually about encouraging others to simply get involved. Yeah, always torn about like, there's so much we do that we don't talk about. We did so much during the pandemic that like never, never right. saw a social right. tweet or page. Let's talk, you know, COVID's been in our life for yeah. the last, whatever, <laughs> 20 months. How has it affected the business? How about you personally? What's yeah? It's I mean, a bizarre time to be a you know a business owner and trying to grow totally. the business, and we got lockdowns and various other things. So yeah, how do, how do you guys fare? I think looking at the pandemic, it's been interesting when it when it started uh, because of all the adversity we'd been through already. We were we were kind of privileged in a way that we could take almost like a playbook off the shelf and go, okay, we've been in a spot that was unknown before. We made some pretty clear heart centered decisions around team safety mm -hmm. and how we're going to proceed and, and mental health. So that was kind of step one. The hard part and still is the hard part is like, when is it over? Yeah. And that's been the hardest thing as a leader to deal with is I spent more time in the last 18 months navigating the uncertainty of what is out of our control ultimately, um, whether it's government regulations or consumer behavior and going to the store or not going to the store or whatever it is. But the reality is, is like no, no leader has been prepared for this. And I think personally, that's, that's a hard place to be because as a entrepreneur leader, 
I've always sort of been able to see the future in a way that allows me to make really good decisions because I can sort of anticipate things. And with all of this, it's been impossible. Right. And so when people are like, how's the business doing? I'm like, why don't we just talk about employee health? You know, like, let's talk about the thing that really matters right now, which is like people's safety, people's mental well-being. The future of work is like a massive one, right? Like remote work versus in person versus yep. like, again, the the pendulum is truly in, in the, you know, the, the team member or the employee's hands right now to say, hey, I, I actually want to work from home two days a week. And employers, n- not us as much, but employers are struggling with that, right? They're like, well, I don't know if this is going to work. And you're seeing like a lot of great, talented people leave organizations because they simply ask for something that I think is perhaps reasonable. So I think that, you know, the business itself, you know, people didn't go to the grocery store for a long time. Then they went crazy at the grocery store. Right. And then now they're like shopping online. 44% of people who had never shopped online now only shop online. Wow. And so when you look at how somebody discovers our product, it's like, are they entering the search bar on Instacart gelato because it's not like you're visualizing the shelf anymore. It reminds me of a kid as a kid, like consumers distributing, you get the, like, oh, yes. you get like the we're, book. We're dating you, ourselves yeah. now. You'd, you'd, look at, you'd look at the things and I'm like, dad, can we, can we get this? And then we'd go to the, it was by Chinook, I think. And, uh, you go and you're like, this is it. Like, it's just like, <laughs> it's just like a part store, you know, but, um, but that's like how the grocery store is evolving. And so that's another challenge. I think, you know, there's a lot of learning that's happening at a rapid pace around DEI, which is really important. A conversation that is, has taken too long to be had, but really honoring it. And then I think too, like just the way, again, the world's shifting. Like I've never been a fan of a five-day work week or mm. eight hours a day. I mean, you work as much as you need to, especially when you're building the company. But I don't think the industrial revolution is how we should be living our lives today. So we do a lot of things that, that encourage people to sort of think differently about their work work day, but the needs of the business also still operate on that, you know, nine to five, Monday to Friday thing. So I don't know, man, it's uh, crystal ball material at this point, but um, I think the thing that's important for everyone is realize that the world is, is in a very difficult place right now, whether it's showing it or not, everybody's dealing with mental health, every single person. This is something that like was a foreign topic for a lot of people for a long time. Yeah. And it is unprecedented. It's like, I didn't know what anxiety was until 18 months ago. Well, I knew how stress occurred to me, but I didn't really understand it until 18 months ago. And now acknowledging that like, if somebody shares with you something like, hey, I'm having a tough time with this, like we've got to be very inclined to like have a, a very intelligent conversation around how to proceed and I think there's a there's an apprehension, I think, sometimes by companies or businesses to say like, well, it's a it's a workplace, like leave your personal life at the door, mm-hmm. like whatever bullshit people say. And it's like, no, like if people can come as their whole selves, if they know that you've got their back when they're having a down day, like that's the place I want to work. So why wouldn't I operate my company that way? Right. So how do you personally rest and reset and mm-hmm. and be charged kind of going forward, especially through COVID? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of adoption of things that I did intermittently. So meditation was something I probably did infrequently. Mm. 
I did it for a while, a couple of years ago, and then sort of fell off. But I know if I re- like literally consciously rest my brain for 10 minutes a day, like it's a big thing. A morning routine has really become something for me. I think yeah. I would spring out of bed and, and get to work and be on my phone or whatever. And now I'm like, I get up, I make a lemon water. I read some gratitude stuff. Like, oh, wow. Really just just program the day. Mandy, my wife and I, we, we generally try to have coffee in the morning so we can just be present for one another. Nice. And I think as I get older, although I feel young some days and feel a hundred others, there's there's nothing better, better than lived experience. And the thing I'm realizing now more than ever is we get to choose, you know? And so within our lives, especially in a first world and, and you know, being a part of an organization that operates as, as ours does, like I, I can choose how fast or slow or big or small or how many days off happen. And I mandated like for my leadership team last year, like 30 days off. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's not, I pay people for results, right? It's not about like dollars for hours, right? It's again, the industrial revolution. Some jobs are like that, right? Like manufacturing and production operates that way, but we try to make sure we look after those people in a really meaningful way. And they, um, you know, they get treated pretty special as well. But I think that the sentiment around getting to choose every day is like pretty important. And so, you know, no is a full sentence. And sometimes we're afraid to say that to people because we don't want to let them down or whatever it is. And and we just got to realize like, it's our life. We only get one. We never know, especially now, like tomorrow's never promised. We never know when it's going to end. And so taking the time for simple things like lemon water in the morning or, or meditation or being present with your, your partner, it's important, you know, laughter. I think that's like a thing that I try to do every day. Like even my YouTube history, I was laughing yesterday. I was like all these old SNL skits and I was just like, (laughs) I was like howling, you know, like, like what, what do you do in your spare time on your phone? Is it like, do you take in social media that Mm. is like, honestly, so dysfunctional? Like I, I purge pretty often, like rarely post now. And, but uh, being in a position where it's like, realize, be, be mindful of what's occurring to you in the moments that you're participating in and then realize you get to choose and be open about it. I think like one thing we're, we're open with, with the team is if, if something doesn't feel right or it's tough, like let's have a chat about it. Mm. We can't be in a position where no one comes to work and still gets paid. Like it just doesn't function that way, but there might be a thing that's like, Hey, we need a day off a much needed day of rest or whatever. And I'll do the same with myself and, and just be aware that I get to choose. So talking about a little bit about mental health, yeah, adversity. If you kind of go back in time, two thousand nine, yeah, uh-huh. what's a piece of advice you would have given yourself then, or a piece of advice that you could give to someone who's thinking about stepping into entrepreneurship? What I'm seeing now is there's there's a high level of there's a lot of content being created in the world, and so ironically we're creating content right now. But this is more just you and I hanging out, drinking coffees, yeah. watching you struggle on an espresso machine, which is fun. <laughs> Back then, I I don't even think Facebook was really a thing, and Instagram definitely wasn't. I wasn't on LinkedIn. Like I was pretty programmed to like do great work and not be distracted by the noise. So I I don't know that I would have looked back and give myself something. I've always been mindful of my intake, you know, working in a natural food store when I was a kid and stuff, maybe just carving out more time for exercise, which I think is Mm -hmm. always a challenge. You enjoy it when you're in it, but you'd never want to start kind of idea. So that would, that would be my advice to someone now is be less worried about the content you're creating and be more mindful of like the time you're spending on things that maybe matter. So 
sure, people think that marketing is important and you got to be out there and yeah, to a certain extent. But I think at the end of the day, like just be okay with being okay or be okay with not being okay, but you don't have to sort of share it in the world and then sort of reaffirm the the dopamine hit of right. how people are perceiving you. And I really struggle with social media. It's like it's such an essential part of a business period now. And the personal to personal consumption stuff, like the vanity and sort of all of that stuff is like, if you're going to put content out, like make sure it's enriching someone, mm. you know, like don't, don't be writing mean tweets or one star reviewing restaurants right. or like just airing your opinion because you want to be sort of heard. Like there's no, there's no need for that in the world, you know? So, and, and you said you deleted it off your phone. Yeah. I, I like go through phases. It's good for you. Well, I, you get to a point, like, I think this is the choosing thing. It's like, oh, like I looked at, like, I look at my weekly hours on my phone kind of stuff, just like a productivity hack, I guess. And I audit like, oh shit, I, you know, I spent two hours on this. Like, what could I have done in two hours? Like, I could have hung out with my dog for two more hours, you know? And it's super addicting. Like, yeah. there's no way you go into reels on Instagram or like, I had TikTok for like two days and I was like, I will no be more. unemployed yes. if this stays on my phone because you get sucked into the vortex of content. And a lot of it's hilarious. And there's like so much you can just watch 10 million videos about I, dogs. I, if I you feel want. like it's like sugar. And it just yes. kind of, you, you know, you get that first hit and then, you know, 10 minutes yeah. later, you're not feeling so good, but you have a bit more and then it, it brings the dopamine in. And yeah. it's interesting. More and more people I'm talking to have deleted Instagram or yeah. they're no longer on social media. Yeah. I like, I kept mine at 20 minutes and I try to honor it. Yeah. I try to honor it as much as possible. Well, I think the interesting thing that happens now this recently happened uh with uh, a friend of mine i saw he had a an accident and so i reached out and i said hey how you doing i just saw a picture of you getting injured and he's like oh you haven't followed my story and i think again there's this weird expectation uh, well almost an assumption that people care about what we're sharing and so like no offense to him like i just didn't know and so then we had a nice conversation about like what really went on, which is human to human connection. And I may not have even known he was injured without stumbling across one post when I went into Facebook to check something on marketplace, da da da. Anyways, <laughs> what I'm saying is that we, like I see these stories where, you know, people are like, hey friends, just wanted da da And I'm like, who are you really talking to? Like maybe, maybe your fans, like maybe I'm underestimating like Richard Branson hits on there. He's like, Hey friends. I'm like, Hey Richard, you know, <laughs> like we're best buds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's also where like human connection, especially on this side of the pandemic is like irreplaceable. So I, I've like also started to be mindful. Like I'm like, Oh, I wish I had my phone so I could take a photo of this. And I'm like, why don't I just enjoy the bullet? Yeah. So very conscious of it, like at, at concerts pre COVID and, and even, you know, I've been to a couple since, and sometimes it's like, Oh, I want to capture this, but another sort of funny audit I'll, I'll uh, challenge myself on is like, open up photos on your phone. Look how many photos you've taken and then be like, how many of these are actually like <laughs> photos I would put in an album right. that I would put right. on my coffee table. Right. right. Because again, we're sort of addicted to this like instinct or habit of like, 
oh, this is happening. Let me record it. And it's like, I don't know if there's value in that. So <laughs> I sound like such a pessimist around it, but I, I think the sentiment around it is I just like hanging out with people, like connecting like we are right now. I think that we've got to get back to that. We've got to realize that like social media is a tool that is for marketing. And the more that we create a place where it lifts people up, the better off we're all going to be. So if you're going to share content, share something like really great, like pump people up, you know? Meditation. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Yeah. Uh, I have two apps. So I have a Peloton app on my, my phone. Okay. Yeah. Try to engage on Peloton a couple times a week. Not as good as I would like to be right now. <laughs> um, and then I have Headspace. And okay. yeah, it's good. Headspace has like an audit. You check in every month on like how you're feeling and how you handle the month. Yeah. Just being present. I think people think it's harder than it is. And mm -hmm. really it's just about starting your mind's going to wander and that's like what a great medit guided meditation will do is sort of bring you back mandy and i were recently in tulum and we did some meditation there and it's like you just realize how powerful it is when you do it and you almost ignore that when you don't and so if you were to almost audit like why like why am i not 110 percent? Mm. it might come back to something as simple as that or like if you didn't eat a meal in a day and I think back to the mental health thing too, an important thing is we're not taking enough time to take care of that part of our life as we would physical health. You mm -hmm. know? It's like physical health is pretty apparent. Mental health is like, you can't really see it, but it's happening at like 10X what your physical health is. So what would you do to yeah. take, take care of your mental health? Tons of gratitude. Always, always, always filled with joy around, you know, remembering parts of my life that were harder than the one I'm in now. Mm -hmm. Like, you think this is hard remember that buddy being so thankful for what we have like even this today like we're lucky to be here you made me a great coffee we're having a great conversation like so good i think that too often people are focused on the the negative things right they wake up late so they're mad at themselves or they whatever happened and it's like name three things every morning that you're stoked on start that way you know write yourself a little note put it on your mirror a little post-it what am I grateful for? And then I think at the end of the day too, like just taking a little bit of time to be like, yeah, I maybe didn't get the thing done that I you know, set out to do, but these two other rad things happened. And some days there's not going to be a lot to share. So that's maybe where you can say, I'm grateful for my health. Mm. Grateful I have a roof over my head. It doesn't take much to gain perspective when I'm sure for you in, in the coffee business, seeing, you know, second and third world countries, yeah, yeah, traveling. you're like, oh my gosh, how lucky are we? Yeah. We're lucky so, to be born where we are, the yeah. time and place. It's it gives you perspective. Yeah. I think that's the way to do it. Also like, a, a am saying the word audit a lot, but like, <laughs> think about, think about who you surround yourself with. Yes. Like, are your friends the ones that just kind of come in and complain a bunch or, you know, have shit to say and are they like stoked you're there and lifting you up and setting their own goals and, and winning on those and that's another thing too. I think sometimes our goals are, are so big that we feel like we haven't yet completed them. And so that's why I'm like a fan of small wins, like something super simple, but making your bed is that's like, a win. yeah. And then you start the day. This is like a, a little lemon water. That's thing. A yeah. Win. You're just like, okay, I'm, I'm not so bad after all, you know, <laughs> just being a little more mindful that we're pretty lucky to be alive. The future of righteous. Where, mm -hmm. where are we going in the next five to 10 years? Sure. Yeah. Lots going on. I mean, there's lots of fans in the U.S. that we can't yet reach. We know that there's 
a lot of stores that that want to carry our product and again we're we're taking a very slow and steady approach like we did in canada we have some interest from some some other countries and we're evaluating those and i think you know when it comes to products there's a few things we've got in our innovation pipeline that i'm excited about and so we're trying some new things i think if i were to say what is what success look like in 10 years it's to me that we haven't sold ourselves short mm. on the possibility that is in front of us and so i often bring that to the team and in a way that's like are we are we really stretching ourselves to like great work or are we like just kind of making the motions and so i would say it's very similar to how you know i optimally want to live my life which is like i want to travel i want to see things i want to do things i want to accomplish things i want to learn things i just want to get the most i can out of life because you can do nothing or you can do everything you get to choose and as a company i think that's the same thing as like what do we really want to do that would feel like we did great work and so we get to feel that pretty often which is good but, you know, righteous, similar to the F word before, we still, even though we're, we're selling, you know, 2 million pints a year, wow, people don't know who we are. Awareness is a thing that I think becomes more and more important. And so we've got to work harder on establishing that the clear jar with the black lid with the raspberry lime inside is, is righteous gelato, uh, not just the product that people bought and, and maybe some did discovery. So I think it'd be pretty cool that 10 years from now, Righteous is a household name. And right now, Righteous is a, a piece of packaging that people see and they remember who we are. So we got some work to do. So James, I was in Italy. I was yeah. lucky, lucky enough to go and I had some amazing gelato. Yeah, you you went on a tear. Yeah. I saw your... <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was there 14 days and I think I had gelato, I had gelato every day and I think I hit 20, awesome. 20 for 14. So not bad. That's huge, dude. But... We got to talk. There's some real legit, obviously, gelato yeah. there. And then there's some Fugazi gelato yeah, there. Impostor. Yeah. Yeah. What makes gelato legit versus, you know, there's some stuff out there that's like there. I had your yours is like one or two. Yeah. And then the, the rest kind of like were good or yeah. subpar. Well, the gelato business is maybe similar to the coffee business. Like you're going to have grade A high integrity, like even you showing me that gear that checks the color of the beans. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a legit move. And for my old de design days, it's like garbage in, garbage out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the reality is, is that often shop setup, especially in Italy, where it's like a tourist thing, like you said, people go to Italy and have gelato every day. And some of them are going to be crafting it in the back from real ingredients, like a lot of care and attention to the product. Mm. And then there's other ones that are going to buy a bag of material and pour it into a thing and add water and oh, wow. out comes the so yeah. gelato. Yeah, no offense to Tim Hortons, but it'd be like your, uh, what's that frat, that cold wrap thing? The ingredient list on the ice cap is more than just coffee and ice, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure. No offense to Tim Hortons. They do lots of great stuff in yeah, the community yeah. as well. So that's the reality is some some just want to sell it. I mean, you go, you go anywhere in the world and you're going to see great versions of things and then versions of, hey, it's busy here. Let's open a ice cream shop or right. a gelato shop. And so I think it's about caring about the quality of the product, the quality of the ingredients. And then like whether the recipe is one pre-made thing right. or the assembly of a bunch of others. So so I think a lot of people don't know about Overrun. Yeah. And airing. <laughs> yeah, sure. Tell us about Overrun. Well, please. next time you're in the grocery store, pick up, uh, I, I keep saying no offense, but maybe I should offend some people. Pick up a pint of Halo Top. 
Okay. I'm okay with defending Halo Top. And then I want you to pick up a pint, a Righteous, or Haagen-Dazs. I mean, Haagen-Dazs and Righteous are two in the same in terms of overrun. So what happens is if you were to just freeze the ingredients, it would turn into an ice cube. So that's like how a popsicle is made. Or there's no air in it. But when you spin air into the process of making gelato or ice cream, that's what allows the space in the molecules so that you can scoop it and it's not a block of ice. Somewhere along the way, someone figured out the more air you put in, the less ingredients you have to put in. So we call it wiffle ball a, a little bit, but Halo Top runs at about 150% or wow. or something. So if you were to take the pint and let it melt, like two thirds of it would be material. And so when you pick it up, it's like literally, it probably weighs 150, 200 grams. And it's a 473 mil pint, which is another weird thing. In Europe, they measure by weight on ice cream. They don't do it in America. And Mexico, they do by, by weight as well. But then you'll feel ours and our overrun runs anywhere from 25 to 35% on average. So there's effectively five times the amount of Jeez. gelato. So the density in gelato is what creates the creaminess versus a lot of times in ice cream there's a lot of air but then a lot of fat so the fat creates the mouthfeel that makes you think that it's creamy and so that's why people are like why is gelato so creamy but less fat and, and it's literally it's an air game essentially oh, wow. so yeah and i mean most gelato equipment like actual gelato gear is geared at that like 30 percent overrun i think haagen is about 30 30 i'll never offend haagen can you drop it down to like three or four percent no i think that as soon as you probably cross 15 percent, you're in a position where like it's just too dense it's interesting because that's where we struggle a little bit at, at shelf and in, in grocery stores just like people are just looking at the price they're not looking at overrun or quality of ingredients or all that kind of stuff so the more educated a consumer is like yourself you understand usually simply by taste the quality of the product but then if you were to do you know a bit of a a look under the hood of right what else is going on then you would understand so does it annoy you when people ask if it's ice cream or gelato used to because i was like such a purist about it maybe I, explain the difference if yeah there is, and so ice cream to gelato so gelato is less fat less sugar uh less air and more natural ingredients and so i i simply put it it's like the way ice cream was supposed to be made Gelato started before ice cream. Sorbetto actually started first. And then it came to America and got industrialized. And so that's where some corners get cut because a consumer ultimately determines the price point. Mm. And then it's a work back on that. And so, again, feel lucky that there's a set of fans that appreciate the quality we make and are willing to pay a little bit more for exponentially more quality. What was your first question before gelato ice cream? What's the difference? Or like, does it annoy you when someone's oh, like, yeah, sorry, oh, that's what you said. Yeah, yeah. Righteous ice cream. Yeah. I, I mean, I used to get offended, but now I like, I actually, I don't really care. I mean, what's hilarious and this, this happened not so long ago. And then it's actually written in a children's book. Somebody sent to me, but a parent will be like, Hey, do you want ice cream? Like after dinner and the kid will turn and be like, it's gelato mom. <laughs> You're like, oh my God. Yes. This new generation they understand. already understands. And no word of lie, it's printed in, I forget what children's book. My oh, buddies have sent it to me, but. James, I was going to ask you about your morning routine. You already got that. Yeah. So I guess the last question was, where can people find you online? Yeah. RighteousGelato.com. Righteous Gelato on any of the social platforms I talked about before. I mean, I jump into LinkedIn every once in a while. So if somebody wants to connect, send me not an automated message and I might get back to you. And then, yeah, if you see me around anywhere, don't hesitate to say hi. I, uh, I think I feel pretty honored and lucky to have got to do what I get to do every day. And I never forget that. And I think that's where 
I'm always inclined to have a chat with somebody that's either starting a business or has had one for a long time and is trying to figure a few things out and or just good people that are a fan of of what we do. I mean, that's I think the cardinal rule is, you know, fans of our we call our customers fans. Fans are who make you. Like if no one's a fan of what you do, like you're you don't get to do what you're doing, right? So yeah. Thanks, buddy. Really Lots of gratitude. It. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. Hey friends. Thanks for listening to Buy the Drip. If you could please subscribe, rate, and give us a comment, that'd mean the world to us. Till next time.